Genesis uh, 31, 36 through 55. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your son, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters of my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it as a pillar. And Jacob said to the kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Sahadutha, but Jacob called it called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we, were, when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap in the pillar, which I have set between you and me. The heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for the relationship that we have with you in Jesus. It's so different from other relationships we have. You are perfect. 
You are reliable. You are the relationship that makes sense of all of our other relationships. I pray that you would be at work healing us now, healing uh, all of us who, who have need of healing in relationships that have not been uh, what we want them to be, that are not what we want them to be. Lord, that you would direct our hearts to, to see you and the ways that you relate to us uh, and, and how that can free us, how that can heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> it's still, uh, it's, it still counts, I think. Um, and welcome to those of you who are, are joining us online. Uh, we took a break for a chunk of time from this series in, in Jacob, so now we're resuming. So since it's been some time to, to kind of play catch-up, if it, you, know, you haven't been here for a while or um, maybe just have forgotten. So where we are with Jacob... Um, He's, he's really concluding uh, what is the second kind of formative season uh, in his life. If you want to think about his, his first, his childhood upbringing, he's got his brother Esau and his parents, that would be maybe this first season, uh, and now he's had this second very formative season of his life uh, where he's been with Laban and, and uh, he's been married uh, and his past 20 years working there, uh, and like God often does, uh, he does some of the, the deepest heart work in hard seasons. Uh, and, and this has certainly been a hard season for Jacob. Um, and, and yet, through this, Jacob is emerging out of this, and, and he, he's a changed man. He's a very different man than he was 20 years ago. Uh, when he came to Laban, and you can see it in his person, you can hear it uh, in his voice, in his words. He, he's somebody who is now overflowing with a knowledge of the presence of God. Right? And, and as is usually the case, right, within hard seasons, it hasn't as been as if it's been without blessing. There has been a lot of blessing in Jacob's life, as well as hardship. And the biggest blessing being that God has opened his, Jacob's eyes, to him. God, and the relationship that they have, and, and God's presence and friendship in Jacob's life. And so Jacob is, is so much more in tune with this, so much more aware of what God has done uh, in his life. And so as we come to, to this passage here, basically Jacob has fled away from Laban. Uh, he, he sort of has run out of favor with Laban. He's, he's run away. Laban has chased after him, tracked him down. Uh, and on top of this, Jacob's wife, Rachel, stole some of Laban, her dad's gods, uh, without any of them knowing it. So Laban has just kind of felt over all of Jacob's stuff. And now there's this confrontation that's kind of been 20 years in, in the making between these two guys. And what I'm calling this, this passage, the sermon here, is the end of a toxic relationship. The end of a toxic relationship. And I'm aware here that I'm using a relatively new phrase to describe a pretty old reality. Uh, the, the term toxic relationship didn't really, it, it really came into our verbiage about 20 years ago that we've been, been speaking in those terms. And I think part of the challenge is that when we use that term now, there is a, a whole expanse of relational dynamics that that kind of touches on. Uh, and so I, I think it's helpful to understand what are we talking about 
uh, when we think about a toxic relationship. What is a toxic relationship? I think Laban's relationship with Jacob would certainly qualify uh, as that. But I also think, you know, we're thinking about definitions. I I found uh, through a, a therapy website online what I think is probably a fairly accurate definition uh, that, that we use um, now for, for what this means. And, and they said, a toxic relationship is one that makes you feel, that's a key word, uh, it's one that makes you feel unsupported, misunderstood, demeaned, and attacked. Now, you notice in that definition, the key term is how you feel. Do you feel unsupported, demeaned, uh, attacked or, or misunderstood. And <laughs> I, I got to say in passing here, um, but it, you know, it's worth talking about as we think about the culture we live in. It, if you've been in any relationship, let's say, say a relationship five years or longer, okay? And that relationship, we, under that definition, would not describe as toxic at some point that's not a real relationship <laughs> in that definition because any relationship of any depth is going to involve being misunderstood and not supported, both people at some level. That's just, that's what a relationship is. Because look, if, think about it this way. If you, are, if you have a relationship in which you are always supported, always agreed with, in everything that you do, in everything you say, that is not a real relationship. <laughs> uh, because I, I guarantee you are doing and saying things that should not be supported. Because I, I am as well. Uh, so, you know, you, you may be in a, a relationship with somebody who has no backbone or who has no opinions, but that's not a real relationship. So, you know, with that said, understanding kind of all relationships could qualify as toxic, that doesn't mean that there's not such a thing as a problematic, toxic relationship. That's still a reality. And even though that term is new, the reality is not. Ever since, because we're sinners, we live in a fallen world, throughout all of history and, and through all of history to come, there are always relationships that are abusive and demeaning and destructive and unhealthy and where the, the primary source of all that dysfunction is one person. That that's, that's happens. That's, that is a reality. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the primary strains of advice that comes from the world around us when you have a toxic relationship or you, you identify something as that is what? cut it out. Right? You, just, you just cut that person off. And, you know, that, there's a place for that. That's, that can be the right response. But I, I will say again that if you combine the definition that we just started with, with that response to a toxic relationship, or what you think is toxic, you are going to end up very isolated and bitter and lonely. Right? Is it just Everybody's just going to get cut off. And so what I want to point us towards in this passage is that this passage offers us hope. This passage offers us a solution, 
a genuine solution to, to genuinely toxic relationships. And that is found in our relationship with God. Here's the main point for us, and that is a right relationship with God will heal your bad ones. A right relationship with God will heal your bad ones. And by that, I think this should go without saying, I mean heal it for you. There's no guarantee what's going to happen with the other person. So here's where we're going. I want to attempt to define a little bit more genuinely you know, what is a toxic relationship. And then I want to look at how this particular relationship with Jacob and Laban comes to a close, which is with Laban's pettiness and Jacob's righteousness. Uh, and then we're, we're lastly, we're going to finish with um, thinking a little bit more about how a right relationship with God can remove some of the sting of toxicity in, in some of those other broken relationships. So, you know, first of all, what is a toxic relationship? What are we talking about here? And I, I started where I did for a reason, and that th- this is hard to get our hands around, because there is a sense in which every single relationship, like I talked about, every single relationship will or or can be defined as toxic, maybe wrongly. But there's also a right way, if you go broad enough, that every relationship in your life can be toxic as well. And, And there's a simple reason for that. And that's because you are a sinner, and the person you're in relationship with is also a sinner. Right? That, that means there's going to be problems in that relationship, and, and you're going to be the cause of some of that. All right? and, and so we've got to understand that. We've got to keep that in mind. And we also have to keep in mind the fact that there are degrees of toxicity. Um, so you know, I, I say all of that because you know, if you don't bear that in mind, here's what's going to happen. Right, let's say that you're here and you know, you're married, or you're a kid with your parents, or you're here with a good friend of yours, and we start thinking about, or we start talking about, well, what is, defines, uh, you know, what constitutes a toxic relationship, you're going to think, oh man, I, I'm in a toxic relationship, this person is toxic, I got to get out of this. And you know, again, there's, there's degrees, there's degrees of toxicity, and there is also a right way to handle toxicity in a relationship. And that starts with getting right in your relationship with God. That's where it starts. Getting focused on that relationship. So let me offer two common threads, I think, that that come to the surface when you see relationships that are deeply toxic. And and, and these will come out from Laban's relationship with Jacob as well. And, And the one is that the person is unappeasable, that's one. Second, the person is unwilling to ever admit wrong. Those are two kind of common threads. Unappeasable, unwilling to ever admit wrong. And these just kind of jump off the page when you're looking at the way Laban relates to Jacob in the past 20 years as Jacob gives an account. As Jacob is talking about, look, he's been out there, he's been exposed to the elements, he's been faithfully taking care of this uh, flock. He's, he's enduring all of these hardships. He's under constant demands. He's under constant accountability and pressure from Laban. But on the other side, he receives zero love, zero support ever. 
Right? And so, so Jacob is always bearing the cost. He's always bearing the blame of what happens. While for Laban, it's never enough. It's never enough. He's unappeasable. He's always squeezing this contract with Jacob. He's always pressing on it, applying pressure. See, can I, can I squeeze a little bit more out of this? Can I get a little bit more out of this for myself? And Laban, he has this insatiable, calculating approach towards Jacob. It, it conjures up this picture uh, of, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, you ever seen one of those kind of um, cartoonish depictions of a, like the, the fat cat capitalist. Right, maybe a person, maybe a cat, right, and just like very overweight, and the, like the pinstripe suit, and smoking a cigar, and sitting on a pile of like cash and human skulls, right? Okay, it's actually kind of who Laban is. It's actually kind of the guy that he is, which is why we, when Jacob comes to what he says in verse forty-two, I don't think this is an exaggeration. Where, Laban, where Jacob says. You know, if it hadn't been for God, you would have been happy to just send me out into the cold, empty-handed and penniless. I don't think that's an exaggeration. So Laban has been unappeasable. He's also been unwilling to ever admit that he's wrong. And you can see this right away in the way that Laban responds to Jacob, right, when they kind of come to blows here. And, uh, you know, the, the scene in the dialogue, is, it's perfectly relatable. You've ever been in any kind of uh, long-term uh, relationship where, where both sides have this kind of like pent-up litany of grievances, right? And it's just been, they're just bottling it up, and then, you know, it just all comes pouring out. Or it's just like this torrent of, yeah, you did, 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 And so that, that's kind of what's happening with both of them. And, and Jacob you know, it's more than he can handle, right? Because he, he has this confrontation and Laban starts coming at him with, with things that Jacob has done wrong and he, he just, it's just too much. His, Jacob, on his part, he's thinking, but these past 20 years, I've been doing nothing except receiving evil and, and giving good in return. And this, this just feels like the last straw, Right, that Laban here has tracked him down, he's hunted him down, he's fell over his goods like he's kind of some escaped convict, right, rather than his son-in-law, rather than a faithful and ill-treated employee of the past 20 years. And so you can understand just the outrage that just comes bursting back from Jacob here, this indignation. And you know, Laban... He hears all this stuff from Jacob, all, all of his wrongdoings, right? all, all of his, his failures, right? including continually extorting and cheating Jacob right? throughout the course of their relationship. And he, he listens to all of this, and he responds the, the way we, we often do in those situations. Right? That's, yeah, I, I point the finger right back, and that's, that's what Laban does. Now, there's no accountability, there's no apology, there's no admittance of wrong whatsoever. Laban has been, you know, thoroughly, and you see how, in this, just in this dialogue, you see that this, this toxic relationship with Laban, it's not as if, for Jacob, it's just been like a small thing, it's just been like a sideshow. Now, this has been the defining context of his life, right, for these past 20 years. And Laban has been unappeasable whole time, and he has been unwilling to ever admit wrong. 
I want to stop here and, and think a little bit, just turn to the question here of how does a relationship with Jesus change the way that we view these kind of relationships? And, and one of the ways to do that, I think, is contrasting how, how that relationship works to the way that we usually respond in those relationships. Right? And typically, you have a toxic relationship. You respond in one of two ways. Both of them are unhealthy. One is uh, you, you either appease or you either seek vengeance. Right? Either you take it on yourself to do whatever you can to appease this person, or you take it on yourself you say, I, I'll do whatever I can to turn the tables, to get back at this person. Both of those are wrong. Right? And a relationship with Jesus frees us from both of those. Right? Because here's what happens. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, the moment that you do that, you are on safe ground with God. Completely. God is appeased with you. You don't ever have to worry about that. Right? More than appeased, he's pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Right? Especially as you, you seek to, to walk with him and follow him. And you're also freed from seeking vengeance. Because God is over both of you, you and the other person. And you know that God is going to respond justly. And that means that God is going to treat you not only fairly, but he's going to treat you with mercy and kindness. And God is going to be just in regards to this other person. So I, I want to go on here to look a little bit more closely, though, at both of these characters, both Laban and Jacob, and how they handled their parting. You know, because if there's ever a time when someone's true colors come out, there's ever a time when, when someone's true character comes out, it's, it's how they finish. And so we see, we see that here. And it's amazing to me, I mean, it probably shouldn't be, but it is amazing to me, Laban's pettiness and his blindness to his own faults. And as a little bit of a, an interjection before we get into this, as a warning perhaps, right? Because I know, I know this is what happens. I know this is what happens to me. You know, we hear about, we see, we think about people like Laban. Right? And, and we're able to uh, analyze them objectively. Like, look at this from the outside, and we start thinking about, you know, all of the, the, the people in our lives who fit, the, who fit that bill. Right? All of the Labans right, that we've had to put up with, we've had to suffer through. And I think that misses a large part of the point. Because you've got to keep in mind here, Laban does not see himself the way we are seeing him now. I guarantee you that. He doesn't see himself that way. And, and you, can, you can hear it. Right? You, you can hear it in, in the way that he responds. And this is why Laban has to serve as a cautionary tale to us. Because in his mind, in Laban's mind, he's the victim. He's the victim in all of this. Right? Laban's been the one that he's been, he's been out there trying and loving Jacob or taking him under his wing. He's been this sort of you know, gracious patron, a mentor, really, for Jacob you know, all this time, really looking after the guy. 
He's, he's given him everything he has. And there's a lesson here for us right, that, that will greatly help us if you ever want to grow in humility. Are you ever really, frankly, you want to grow as a person? And that is, we've we got to keep in mind, we're all the heroes of our own stories. We're all the heroes of our own stories. You know, me, in other words, right, you and I don't have such a great perspective, perhaps, on ourselves. Because whenever you have a conflict, right, whenever you have a problem with somebody else, who are you siding with? <laughs> You're siding with me. <laughs> and it's the other person. They're the problem, right? They're the reason this is so dysfunctional. So, I mean, Laban, this is just part of our sinful condition, okay? You know, we just, we, we got to know that. So Laban, he hears about all of his failings. He hears about all of his sins. And how does he respond in verse 43? He says, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. Everything you see is mine. Laban is just, he's like one of these just stereotypically, cartoonishly, bad bosses, right, or coaches, you know, that's just constantly demeaning, constantly undermining you, constantly attacking you, running you down, right, and then sometime, someday, right, despite everything that you're having to put up with, you you achieve, right, some level of success, some reward, uh, you get a better position, or, um, you know, you, you, you achieve some sort of recognition, whatever it is, and, uh, and he turns to you and says, no need to thank me. <laughs> no need to thank me. Uh, you know, I just, I know everything that you have is because of me. And you know, I just, just doing my job. You know, that's, that's basically what Laban is saying. Right? And then he, he proceeds, he goes on in the same breath, not allowing uh, Jacob to respond to that. And, and he makes a false gesture of generosity. He says, but what, what can I do? What can I do this day for, uh, for my daughters and my children? And then, you know, perhaps most telling, he doesn't even let Jacob respond to that. <laughs> it's, it's a totally false gesture. It's a totally throwaway line. Everybody there knows Laban is not about to give anything. Right? So he doesn't even let him respond to that. But, but in this pivot, right, it just, just really reveals the kind of character that, that Laban has. He, he follows this offer to help in any way possible, right away with a suggestion, I, I've got an idea. Well, let me help you. Well, I, I, here's an idea. Uh, how, about, how about we make an agreement? How about we make it a covenant? And as it turns out, uh, terms of the covenant, very much there to protect Laban. <laughs> That's you know, that's, that's who he is. And, and in characteristic Laban fashion, right, he, he believes, he thinks, right, that he's this generous well-wisher, generous benefactor to Jacob. And that, that's how he tries to play it off, when, when in reality, he's really just looking out for his own skin. Uh, you know, because despite, I would say, despite all of Laban's blindness, it has not escaped his notice that Jacob seems to be being blessed. Jacob seems to be getting stronger and stronger. Right? So, so Laban 
you know, wants to, to leave with some security. And, and Jacob's response here, it might be one of the high points of his entire life. Because after Laban goes through this in, entire charade of playing the victim and, and pretending to be Je- Jacob's generous benefactor and, and well-wisher, and, and then he kind of rushes into this agreement, you know, like people do, they, they want to make sure they get the last word. Uh, this is how Jacob responds. Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's get the stones, let's make the agreement. He just lets Laban get the last word. He, he, he lets him have it. He, he lets Laban walk away with this incredible, ridiculous fabrication right, of the sort of guy that he is. How is that possible? Right, what gives Jacob the strength of character, the resilience of character to respond in this way? You know, when, when Jacob and Laban first meet, right, they, they may be two birds of the same feather. But, but here in this scene, Jacob is just towering over Laban as the bigger man. How did that happen? It's, it's because of God. It's because God, God has been taking up more and more of a central space in Jacob's life, right, in his heart. And, and Jacob knows that he has a Savior, he has a Redeemer that is born with him, Jacob. And his slights, his failures, and his deception, and has returned him grace and favor. And so he's able to do the same thing. And this is who we have in Jesus. Right? No one is ever going to have to go through more injustice No one is ever going to have to deal with more toxic treatment than Jesus did on our account. And so this is very important. If you ever want to reckon with Jesus honestly, you cannot reckon in that relationship as the victim. It won't work. Jesus is the victim. Jesus is the victim of our sins. And you see that. It can start giving you the power that just to, to start letting go of the hurts that other people do to you. And this brings us to a last point, which is I want to think through a little bit more explicitly how does a right relationship with God remove some of the toxicity of these other relationships? And that starts by understanding what is the nature of this relationship that we have with God in Jesus. I want to cycle back here to Jacob and Laban just for a moment to understand this. So Laban, at the end of this, or he goes on in great detail about setting up this stone monument, this stone uh, pillar, and, and what all these things mean. And, and really, this is sort of Laban's last-ditch effort to secure good for himself out of a, a whole set of relationships he's utterly botched and, and now are very much moving beyond his reach. But he's still trying to to secure and negotiate some good to protect him. And and so the pillar here is supposed to represent a mutual commitment, that neither 
uh, Jacob or Laban will, will cross over this to do the other one harm. And, you know, by this point, we know how good Laban's word is, but that's not the point for us. The point is that, that for us, this pillar represents Jesus in our relationship with God. Right? And, and that is to say that God is for us who Laban should have been. Right? God, in, in Jesus, he chases after us, he pursues after us the way Laban thinks that he's going after Jacob. That's only to do, do us good, to chase after us with love, with affection, with blessings, with gifts. That's always how God is crossing over towards us. And I think if we understand that is the relationship that we have with God, it can take some of the bitterness out of these toxic relationships. Because I think that that is a large part of, of, of the source of the pain in some of those relationships, especially when there's a power dynamic involved. Because, you know, usually the, the pain is because of what the relationship could have been. It's what it could have been. And so it's, it's, not, it's not so painful as if, like, there's some random person who's a jerk to you. Here's this person who's supposed to be doing you good, who's in a position of power over you, who, who what you want from them is their approval and, uh, and their support and for them to help you and encourage you and, and develop you. And, and instead, all you get is that they, they end up just using you for their own good. And so what's so sad, right, is, is this lost potential right, of what that relationship should have and could have been. But a right relationship with God will heal that. A right relationship with God will heal that. And, you know, I'm sure that many of you have heard this phrase, right? But it's live before an audience of one. And live before an audience of one, meaning God. Now, that's pretty easy to say, but that's very hard to do. But if you do that, if you really believe that there is one person whose love and support and approval and affection matter, and that's God, then it's going to heal you, it's going to protect you from the hurts and the disappointments that come in some of these other relationships. Because God only comes after you to do you good. And to bless you. He's always approving of you because your relationship is based on Jesus, not yourself. Right? Not whether you are earning that favor, not whether you're living up to his standards, because you're not. You won't. And this is what I want to close with because this is, this is what I believe has the power to free us, to free you from a lot of those, the feelings of anger and resentment and bitterness that, that tend to build up during some of those relationships. And the longer the relationship goes, the more those feelings build up. But here's the message of Christianity. That, that in Jesus, this is the nature of your relationship with God. God is pleased with you. 
and God will do you nothing but good. And you didn't earn that. Jesus earned that for you. And that's the power of the gospel. That there's this this message of supernatural life, supernatural love, that you did nothing. You you did nothing to deserve, and and your whole life is now built, uh, uh, never built on anything that you deserve. And, And what that means also is that you now have the power to love the person on the other side of that toxic relationship. That doesn't mean that you trust that person. That doesn't mean that you enable destructive patterns. It may, in fact, mean that the most loving thing to do in that relationship is to cut it off. may. But it does mean that your worth is not based on whether you earn it with that person. It's not based on that. And, and... It means that that other person, right, whoever it is that's hurting you, doesn't have to earn your love. You don't have to wait until they deserve it. You don't have to wait until they atone for themselves. You can give it to them for free, knowing it's free, because you are loved, you are accepted in Jesus freely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you bear the brunt of the toxicity of this relationship. Uh, that, that we bring our faults, our weakness, our pettiness, our blindness to ourselves. And you love us. And you, you love us freely and it, it's not a conditional love. Uh, It's a love that's based on Jesus. It's a love that's secure. And I I pray that, I know know that all of us have relationships that that in one degree or another fit this bill. That that is the nature of this world. And so I pray that you would more and more transform our hearts by your love so that, that we can give love freely. It's in Jesus' name, amen.